A teacher asked a boy this question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you. Your parents and five children, what part of the pie would you get? He said, a sixth. And the teacher said, I'm afraid you don't know your fractions. Remember, there are seven of you. And the boy said, well, I'm afraid you don't know my mom. <laughs> she would gladly give me her piece. As we celebrate moms who gladly give up much more than a piece of pie, it just seems right that we do this under the canopy of a discussion of God's grace. For those of us who have been beneficiaries of God's great grace have more often than not received this grace because our moms shared it. So let's pray and then we'll get to work. <clears throat> We dare not talk about your grace without first talking to you. Open our hearts to receive this immeasurable gift. Remove our deflective skill, remove our deflector shields. Speak to those hearts who have always said that, well, grace is for others, but not for me. Find the prodigals among us. And let this grace rush into our lives in such a way that it changes us. Forgive our speaker. You know his sins are too many to count. And, and grant that we can see the source of all grace, Jesus Christ. Through Christ we pray. And all the church said. Grace. We talk as though we understand the term the bank gives us a grace period. The seedy politician falls from grace. Musicians speak of a grace note. We describe an actress as gracious and a dancer as graceful. Grace. We use the word for hospitals. We use the word for baby girls, kings, pre-meal prayers. We talk like we know what grace means, especially at church. And some churches are named grace. A grace, graces, the songs we sing, the Bible verses we read. Uh, the word grace shares the church parsonage with the other favorite words of the church, like faith and fellowship and forgiveness. Grace, preachers preach about it. Hymns proclaim it. Seminaries teach it. But do we really understand it? I've got a hunch. And that is, many of us have settled for a wimpy grace. A grace that politely occupies a, a, a place in a hymn, fits nicely on a church sign, but never really causes any trouble, never changes the way we live never stuns us, never causes us to look up into a night sky and say, you would do this for me. Ask somebody, do you believe in grace? Who would say no? So I think a deeper question must be asked. Not do you believe in grace, but have you been changed by grace? Shaped by grace strengthened by grace 
emboldened by grace, softened by grace, snatched by the nap of your neck and shaken to your senses by grace. God's great grace has a drenching to it. It comes at you like the waves of the Pacific, one after the other, after the other. It has a wildness about it, a riptide about it. God's grace has a white water, turn you upside downness about it. God's grace comes after you. And it rewires you. It redefines you. It takes you from insecure to God secure. From regret riddled to better because of it. From afraid to die to ready to fly. Grace is the voice from heaven that calls us to change and then gives us the power to pull it off. When grace happens, we receive not a nice compliment from God, but we receive the heart of God. Through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, God promised, I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Rather than tell you to change, God creates the change. It's as if he takes out that old clunker of an engine and he puts a Ferrari inside of you. And what you could not do, you can do. The people you used to avoid, you now respect. The discipline that eluded you now defines you. Grace is God as heart surgeon, cracking open your chest, removing your old heart, poisoned as it is with pride and pain, and replacing it with the still beating heart of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. What a difference this makes. You can't forgive your enemy, can't face tomorrow, can't forgive your past. That's okay, Christ can. And he lives inside of you. Grace is Christ on the move. The spirit of the living God within a human being, aggressively budging you from graceless to grace-shaped living. The gift given, giving gifts. The abundantly forgiven forgiving those who don't deserve forgiveness. Deep sighs of relief, tears of joy. Stumbles still, but always held in the hands of the one who said, I can keep you from falling. And to be clear, grace is everything Jesus Grace lives because he does, works because he works, and matters because he matters. Grace places a term limit on sin. Grace danced a victory jig in a graveyard of all places and promises that you will do the same. Grace. To be saved by grace is to be saved by Jesus. 
To be saved by grace is not to be saved by the right doctrine, the right church, the right works, the right protocol, the right discipline, the right resume. To be saved by grace is to be received by Jesus himself who will sweep into heaven anyone who so much as gives him the nod. Grace must appear too good to be true in order for it to be true. Grace must on occasion cause you to say, really, he would do that? Otherwise, it's not grace. Grace is a gift, pure, unmerited favor that Jesus Christ decided and chose to give to you. He is the door, and he removes anyone who would be the screen door. He himself says, I give this grace. So I ask, do you know this grace? The Apostle Paul, writing this at times technical epistle on grace, comes toward the end of it. He's rounding third base and he's heading toward home. And it's as if he says, I'm going to make sure that we know what grace does to us. And he realizes perhaps that he's been talking to our heads. Now he wants to take the elevator down into our hearts. And he describes what happens when grace happens. In Romans chapter 12, he begins in verse 1 by saying this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, realizing what you have received, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In other words, you have been given life, so now give your life. As someone who has received grace is someone who's going to be giving away their life. They see their, even their bodies, even down to their spleen and toenails, as God's idea and a gift. I can give God my mind. I can give God my tongue. I can give God my hands. I can give God my feet. I present my body as a living sacrifice. Oh, you've done so much for me. Show me where I can carry this grace. That is the anthem of someone who has been changed by grace. Jesus did this, did he not? The words we're reading are from the Apostle Paul, but if you want to see an example of someone who was and is a living sacrifice, it's Jesus Christ. And he, he changed the way we live life. Because everything about the way we live life says, oh, I need to receive. But everything about what Christ did says, okay, you have received, now give. And he called his followers to seek the lowly path of humility rather than climb the ladder of success. He was always telling his followers to zig when the rest of the world said to zag. In his economy, the least are the greatest, the last are first. The ones who will be exalted are those who take the lowest places of honor. And in the end, the life of a grace-defined, grace-drenched person is really one of humility and happiness. 
a one of meekness and mercy. One in which, as, as Paul describes it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In other words, grace teaches us that it's not all about us. It's not about me. It's about us collectively. And that God gives us grace so that we can respect and love other people. Don't you know this was a, a flip of the table, a surprise to the people who first heard this letter? Remember, they lived in the most powerful empire of their day, perhaps one of the most, well, no doubt one of the most powerful empires in history, the empire of Rome. It was the seat of power. The empire had been built on the very principle of, of gladiators and Caesars. The citizens were reminded of power every time they witnessed a parade that was known as a triumph. In this grand procession, the victorious Roman general would wear a crown of laurel and royal robes while riding in a four-horse chariot through the streets of the city. And behind him marched the conquered enemy generals in chains the message was clear. Power wins the day. Such a message led to large egos that brought down the Roman Empire. But here Paul is saying that followers of Christ flip this teaching on its head. In God's system, we put the needs of others above ourselves. We, we serve those who hate us. We forgive those who hurt us. We we don't self-promote, we God-promote. We take the lowest place instead of the highest. We seek to serve, not to be served. We retaliate, not in kind, but in kindness. We extend this grace toward others as we receive this grace from God. So armed with that understanding, Paul says, the grace-drenched heart chooses the path of humility, willingly submitting even to those who are in authority over us. Romans 13 and verse 1, the first verse of the next chapter. Oh, I skipped a verse. Sorry, somebody downstage is clicking the buttons. I skipped this verse. Romans 12 and verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not repay, do not be conceited, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so the person who has this grace has a different view toward other people, has a different outlook even toward their authorities. Here's the verse I was headed to, Romans 13 and verse 1. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Can you imagine those in Rome realizing that our goal is not to overthrow Caesar, 
but to trust God to lead us even through those leaders. And then in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So the law in Paul's mind has gone from the Torah, seemingly impossible to obey and fulfill, to the simple act of loving other people. This word that the Apostle Paul uses for love is that word we all cherish so much in Greek, agape, A-G-A-P-E, which means to place someone else's interests ahead of your own. When the gospel of John describes the greatest love of all through John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son this is agape 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 love gives so how do we know if a person has received the great grace of God they begin giving love toward other people what does this love look like today in our day and age I think I saw a picture of agape love some years back when I visited an elderly couple who lived in the same facility that my mom lived in in the latter years of her life. They had been married for 50 years. The last decade had been marred by her dementia. And the husband did his best to care for her at home but she grew sicker and he grew older eventually he admitted her to full-time care that's where I met him he asked me to come by her room and meet her so I did the room was spotless thanks to his diligence she was horizontal on the bed bathed and dressed though going nowhere he said I arrive at 6 15 every morning You'd think I was on the payroll. I feed her, I bathe her, I stay with her, and I will until one of us dies. Agape love. I remember another man who would spend each night sleeping in a recliner out of love for his son, never sleeping more than a couple of consecutive hours. A car accident had left his teenage son paralyzed. To maintain the boy's circulation, therapists had to massage his limbs every few hours. At night, the father would take the place of the therapists. And though he had worked all day and though he would work the next, he set an alarm to wake himself up every other hour until sunrise. Agape love. There's a story I read about in our own San Antonio paper. A father who was struggling with liver and lung cancer. And when the doctors told him he had less than a year to live, he bravely said that he wasn't afraid to die and he was not going to seek treatment. After all, his children were grown, grown. His wife was already gone. But then he learned that his only son was going to be a father. And when he heard the news, he resolved to see that happen, to be there when the baby was born. And so the chemo tortured his system. 
And there were some days he could do nothing more than just say, it's a bad day. But when his granddaughter was born, he insisted on being taken to the hospital. When he arrived, his arms were so weak that his son had to hold the baby. But he had done what he came to do. He met his granddaughter. And he leaned over and he kissed her on the forehead and spoke to her the only words he would ever speak. Your grandpa loves you very much. Within a few minutes, he dozed off. Within an hour, he was back in the car. Within just a couple of days, he was dead. What is this love? This love that endures decades, that passes on sleep, that resists death in order to give one kiss, call it what it is, an agape love. A love that bears a semblance of God's love to us. I'm talking to somebody who finds it very difficult to give this love. And you found it difficult because you yourself have been unloved. And your survival technique has, has created a shell around your heart. And you do not extend love to others for fear of having love rejected. Maybe agape love is foreign to you. If such is the case, maybe you're skipping a step. Because those who are able to give this love can do so only because they themselves have first received this love. This is the simple teaching of, of John. He said, we love because he first loved us. That's it. We let God love us, and the consequence is a natural overflow of love for others. Folks, we don't love people because people are lovable. We don't. People are cranky. They're stubborn. They're selfish. They're grumpy. And that's just the description of the person preaching this sermon. We don't love people because people are lovable. We don't hang on in a marriage because our spouse is lovable. We don't love our kids because our kids are lovable. We don't love our neighbor because our neighbor is lovable. If we love, it is because we have first let God love us. The first step of discipleship is one of reception. We in church circles always say it's a step of action, but you cannot give what you've never received. And if you've ever been worn out by religion, it's because somebody has told you it's up to you. But grace says, oh no, it's up to God. And my job is to simply be a sponge in the rain shower of his affection and allow him to so deeply soak me that wherever I go, I drip. I'll leave grace footprints everywhere I go. I know we skip this step, but do so at your peril. We read the instruction to love our neighbors and we say, all right, well, God, I'm going to do it if it kills me. 
and we grit our teeth and we try to love somebody as if there is a distillery of love within us that just needs to be prodded, that needs a, a hotter fire, as if if I try hard enough, a, a bottle of love will pour forth. It won't. It won't. We give because we have received. And dear friend, if you're finding it hard to give, then receive. Receive. I always thought it interesting on an airplane trip when they would talk about before we go up in the air, if you're traveling with a child and one of the oxygen masks fall, first put it on yourself and then put it on your child. I thought, now that's so selfish. <laughs> but then I realized you can't help the child if you don't have any oxygen. So take a big breath and then help the child. Grace says first receive, take a deep breath. Our first assignment each and every day is to say, Lord, I'll let you love me today. I don't know how you do, but I'm going to let you love me. This is just how God works. That's why there's so much in scripture about the generosity of God. Just real quickly. Have you ever noticed all the references to the generosity of God? He doesn't just love us. The scripture says he lavishes love. He doesn't just dole out wisdom. He generously gives to all without finding fault. The scripture says he's rich in kindness and tolerance and patience. His grace is exceedingly abundant and indescribable. He overflows the table of the prodigal with a banquet. The wedding that had gone wineless with vats of wine. The boat of the apostles who had no fish, he overflowed their boats with fish two times. Wouldn't one fish have done it? He overflowed. That's how God is. Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth, God supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food. This little word supplies is a wonderful Greek word that combines dance and lead. In other words, he leads the giving parade and dances a jig in doing it. Our God loves a cheerful giver because he himself is a cheerful giver. And he wants to give love to you. So I close this message by just asking, have you received his love? I'm really sorry for all the times you've attended church services and been told that you're not worth being loved you haven't done enough and that God is ticked off at you that's a lie from hell the love of God is abundant and rich and he saw you before you took a first breath he knew your stumbles before you'd ever fall and even so he said now I want that daughter I want that son to be a part of my eternal kingdom that's how much God loves you. Receive his grace today. Say yes to him so you can give that grace to others. Let's pray.
Lord, we bless you and thank you for this abundant grace. Would you right now, dear Father, would you find those hearts that, that found themselves hearing a message of grace, unaware that they even had never said yes to grace? Today, Lord, please, do not let one person hearing these words, whether online or in the auditorium, leave without an awareness, a deeper appreciation of your great grace for us. And then hereby, Lord, let us be people who love others, not because we're forced to, not just because we have to, but because you have first loved us. Grant that we can give the love that we have been given. We pray this in the name of Christ and all God's people said, what a perfect time for us now to pray for those precious among us who have given us so much love as we offer this prayer for all moms. So if that word describes you, please stand as the mom of our three daughters, my precious wife, comes to offer a prayer on your behalf. Well, there is a picture of God's great love, all these moms, and he loves you and he sees you. Every tear you shed, every night you miss your sleep, every sacrifice, every meal, every game you play, every time you say, I love you, you're dispensing God's love into your children, whether they are tiny or all the way grown up. So we want to thank God for lavishing love on us and giving us his grace. So Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, how can we thank you for lavishing such a great love on us? We moms, whether we are, whether we are single, stepmoms, new moms, old moms, surprised moms, want to be moms, married moms, divorced moms, adoptive moms, widowed moms, sad or joyful, fearful or ecstatic. We want to be strong in you, Father, and in the power of your might. We lay our lives before you and say, we still cannot do this thing called motherhood without your amazing grace. We need to hear you say every day, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. And when we put our head on our pillow at night, you have peace for us. You sing songs over us and you rejoice over us. Let us believe that today. Father, we want our ears to hear you. We want our hearts to lean into you. We want to remember and proclaim that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we hear you, as we believe you and receive all you have for us, ample and abundant love, forgiveness, joy, kindness, faithfulness, and patience, then we are filled up to pour into our children and others we love. And Father, give us staying power so we know how to wait on you and be still before you and know you are God and we are not. 
you redeem our life from the pit and you crown us with love and compassion. You, Lord, satisfy our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed and our hearts are restored. Ladies, can you just hold out your hands before the Lord? And we want to collectively release our cares, our children, our sorrow, our bitterness, our loneliness, our loss, our disappointments to the one, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our burdens, smoothing out our path, making our path one of receiving grace and giving grace, making yourself mighty in our midst so we can trust you and walk close to you, have joy in you and power from you for this calling of motherhood. Thank you for this call, for equipping us, providing where there is lack, and most of all, for loving us no matter what. Jesus, you have saved us, and we thank you for giving us hope as the anchor of our souls. And we all say in Jesus' name, amen.